Girl, he reads from these journals he kept when he was a principal. Uncut and uncensored. Putting all his business in the street. The podcast, Ruthless Equity. The name, Ken Williams. After sending the email, I finally had that talk with Mrs. White, who in actuality took the opportunity to talk at me for 30 minutes or so. My talk with her was a textbook lesson in being outcomes focused. She made it clear that she was transferring in the first 45 seconds of our conversation. Well, that was my outcome. Everything after that was entertainment and fell on relatively deaf ears. That woman could have talked about my mama and it would have been okay, as long as I have confirmation that she was going to transfer. Here's a shortened list of comments she made during our talk. One, I'm a gifted teacher. I've never been teacher of the year, but I should have been the teacher of every year. I don't know what made you make that decision. I cannot figure it out. Mr. West keeps his door open all day watching me work. I'm teaching something one day and the next day, he's doing the same thing. I hate that I had to defend myself against the student, Ricky. I don't like when a child manipulates and turns you against me. Seems like you made this decision and then the next day, I reached him. I reached Ricky. I connected with him. He had a perfect day, except when he told me, I cannot wait for the classes to change so I could be out of your class. Lastly, I heard some gossip. And if I knew then what I know now, I would have stayed here. So is it too late for me to withdraw my transfer request? Let me just stop here and go over this little scenario. I just put her transfer paperwork in and I was 95% sure that she would light on that transfer and then she comes in and wants to rescind the transfer which brought about a serious headache one like I haven't had in a long time my gamble was not going to pay off it was as if I gambled everything on black and lost there was an intense pounding in my head a lot of tension she asked that I let her know by the end of the day. At HR, Dan Ray clarified that principals will be notified by 8 a.m. on Friday morning. Well, I was clearly affected and stressing over how to keep the momentum going moving forward. Dateline Thursday, 11.18 a.m. I got an email from Dan Ray saying that since principals got their information in early enough, he was able to complete the transfer process. Get this, a day early, baby. At 11.18, I received an email confirming that Mrs. White's transfer to Point South was approved. Yes, baby. Instantly, Dan Ray, who's white, became one of my heroes. He will be celebrated at my school during Black History Month, baby. His email took care of the dilemma and sent the message I struggled to deliver. I was able to minimize the disruption at third grade and fifth grade and was able to keep another young teacher who I wanted to keep. Mrs. White didn't say much else to me. A quick goodbye around midday because I got her a sub and she was gone. I felt good about making the kind of tough decision that brings positive results for my school. 
Hey, listen, I have revamped my professional development offerings. You can find them at unfoldthesoul.com. Touch the speaking tab. I've got two new offerings. The first is the three-hour virtual PD experience with me. And then the second is the in-person PD experience. Notice I don't call these presentations or workshops because I don't know. No, but I do know. I've gotten to a point in my career. One, my confidence is at an all-time high. I know equity like no one else. I know how to make it practical, tangible, meaningful. I know I could turn those states around who have foolishly banned equity from uh, any of their policies. I can help districts that have policies around equity, but they're spinning in circles, having conversations that don't lead to any kind of improvement in student learning. I can move your district from PLC light to PLC right because I explain PLCs like no one else. I simplify it. It's authentic. I can take all those moving parts that are swirling around you, all the moving parts and make them make sense. If you are interested in advancing your mission of learning for all, advancing your mission of equity, excellence, and achievement for all students, regardless of background. If you're a fan of rootless equity and um, want to move your staff or district forward with it, get at a brother now. Go to my site. Go to my page, unfoldthesoul.com. Reminds me of, it reminds me of that book I read. It's called, uh, uh, reminds me of of nothing nothing and i got 950,000 1100 books behind me right now on this shelf and some of them are great but none of them are like ruthless equity ruthless equity is a book like no other explains equity like no other speaks to you like no other the coach on your shoulder the guide on your side to move you from rhetoric to results regarding your journey with equity Pick up a copy of Ruthless Equity at Amazon.com. If you are a fan, you've read it, take a minute, please, and leave a review on Amazon.com. Now, back to the podcast. All right, baby, let's get into it. This is one of those rare episodes that is actually dependent on the last episode. I think one of the more unique features of my podcast is that it's not time-sensitive, and, um, you know, it's not based on like current happenings in the world. So it's evergreen. You can listen to it anytime. But this is part two. And if you want to get the full context, you want to go back to part one last week. Right. Intimidation versus integrity. This week we pick up <laughs> where I finally get to meet with the teacher. And my, oh my, are there lessons in this thing. And some of these lessons are recurring, which is good. But I'm going to hit on them. The first one is just staying outcomes focused. Staying outcomes focused. When I when I keep my eye on the outcome, things that come at me from the left and the right, I don't mean that. Now, when I said that, God, that just sounds political. I'm talking about, I'm staring straight ahead at the outcome, right? But there are distractions coming from my left and my right. Those things are annoyances, right? They're annoyances, things for me to navigate, but not throw myself into. If you are a football fan, sometimes you'll watch a team who's got some good momentum 
And then you'll get a, a player from the other team who's trying to get the, that momentum changed. And they'll like commit a dirty play or like, you know, give an extra shove in the hopes of baiting the other player into making a mistake. Because a lot of the times the just like, you know, the state trooper doesn't catch the guy in front of you who's speeding. He catches you. A lot of times the refs see the retaliation. That the retaliatory uh, action rather than the initial action trying to take you off your game. And that's what I think a lot of this stuff was for me. You know, when I kind of recall these comments that were just like, wow, you think very highly of yourself. But I'm going to hit on a couple of them. One thing I know leaders struggle with is the, the battle between adult comfort and what's best for kids. And what we're talking about is the path of least resistance. And doing what's best for kids is the path. Adult comfort is the path of least resistance. It just is. Because it's easier to cheat kids than to confront adults. And I hear excuses all over the place. Well, you know, there's a lot got going on. He's going through a divorce. Got a lot going on at home and so forth and so on. And I just think to myself, I understand that. But one, this is America where there are opportunities. And two, what is our charge? Our charge is to do what's best for kids. Got to do what's best for kids. So when I go back to like one of her comments, uh, she said, you know, I, I hate that I defend myself against Ricky. I don't like it when a child manipulates and turns you against me. Hey, listen, I know I, like a, I make a lot of sports analogies. You'll hear managers in baseball or coaches in football. Hey, that's a player's coach. Like, you know, and that sounds like you like you favor the players or you'll, you'll hear that about principles, right? That principle is all about it. He'll defend teachers to the hilt. Then you got ones that are like all about the parents. Uh, doesn't matter what a parent says. The parents always write with the principal or just ones that listen to the students. I'm, I'm neither of the three. I'm not a student's principal. I'm not a parent's principal. And I'm not a teacher's principal. I'm, I'm a principal. And I'm just going to do what's right. And part of doing what's right is due process. And she was offended by the fact that I looked into this stuff. And this has happened before and you know, in past episodes. But I don't make assumptions that because the student is a child that they're wrong. It's, this is, I don't look at it that way. So in her mind, she saw it as the student turning me against her. But I was just about doing what's right doing what's right and I, I finished that episode by saying to myself you know I'm where is it I'm glad hold on a second let me turn to it yeah I felt good about making the kind of tough decisions that brings positive results for my school I don't know man I just knew intuitively that this work is about making tough decisions. I, like I knew that. I'm not telling you I've been 100% successful with it. But I'm proud to say that many more times than not, I went about it with the right mindset. You know, doing about what, what's best for kids. And that is going to put you face to face with upsetting adults sometimes. And, and that a lot of that's been lost. It's been lost. I mean, I'm, I'm, 
I, I can't stop talking about this. You know, I, like visionary leadership in education has it's, it's almost been driven to the point of extinction. And to me, once that goes, then it's easier to cheat kids rather than confront adults. Because what are you standing on? What are you standing on? And so I'll finish with this episode with this. Man, how about her comments, though? Good Lord. I've never been teacher of the year, but I should have been te- the teach. <laughs> I should have been a teacher of the year every year. <laughs> and she's telling me another teacher looks at my, keeps his door open, looks at all my class, and the next day he's doing what I'm doing. In other words, you got you a gem here, baby. Now, I love the one where she talks about she heard some gossip, and what I believe it was was that um, while we still had a stink on us in terms of our narrative and reputation from inside the organization, some of my stronger teachers were recommending our school to their friends. And I think she started to hear that. And for someone who told me emphatically that she only teaches fifth grade, she's ready to switch it up. Part of me thinks that she's never been confronted before either. Um, it just blows my mind. I'm honored that she wanted to stay, but man, I have my fingers crossed. I could send every other principal in the district a gift for getting that paperwork in on time so good old Dan Ray could execute those transfers fast as hell. I had to laugh out loud at myself when I talked about we're going to celebrate Dan for Black History Month. <laughs> I'm still in touch with Dan Ray. I've got to send this episode to him. He will crack up. But that was a big deal. So so the last thing is this. What I try to avoid in this work, and I know every year it becomes harder and harder, um, but what I don't want to come off as is like I'm, like I'm special in some way. That that's I, I really try to avoid that. You know, I've I've listened to great speakers and great presenters who, when I'm done listening, I'm thinking to myself, I can never pull that off because it just seems like they're superhuman. I'm not superhuman. But here's what I had in place. The reason I was able to make these tough decisions is because our why, our mission, and our values have to be more than a statement. Our vision was more than a statement. It's what I stood on. Our vision was this narrative of this school we're going to become in three years, and I'm working toward that. And our mission stood at the center of everything we do. That's why it's got to be more than a statement. It's not that I have this stronger internal sense of justice that makes me helps me make these tough decisions. I know what the mission was. And the mission involved creating as best as possible, the best teams, the best adult teams to address the needs of our students, to to ensure learning at grade level or better for all of our students. Our mission wasn't about where our kids came from and whether or not they were titled one another, that kind of bullshit. None of it. Our mission was about keeping at center a handful of commitments every one of us make made to build this school we described in our vision. 
And that it's it's that simple. We got to get back to basics. Mission is about who we are and what we are here to accomplish. And I'm not talking about cliches. And our vision was the, the picture we painted of this school we were seeking to create. And we created it. We created that picture. It was high definition. It wasn't a bunch of platitudes. And to become that, every decision has to inform it. And so this teacher was not moving our mission forward. Was not moving our mission forward. And so the talk I had with her, the decisions I made, the risks I took weren't about her personally. They were not about her personally. It was about with what she's bringing to the table, is this going to move our mission forward? And the answer was no. So it was time to make a tough decision. When your when mission doesn't stand at the center of what you do, you're not standing on anything. You can't stand on race. You can't stand on culture. You can't stand on Title I. You can't stand on free and reduced lunch. You can't stand on ELs. You got to stand on your staff. And you do that through mission and vision. This is part of why visionary leadership has been driven to the brink of extinction. Now, what I'm sure about is that it's inside you. And I'm working on some things that are help bring it back forth. But you're gonna have to you're gonna have to run counter to what our systems say. There were teachers and staff surrounding our school that were commiserating and bitching and moaning and complaining and acting like they were enslaved all day long. And listen, we we had some issues that we we needed taken care of. We weren't above complaining, but we weren't victims. We built different. And that was the message they got. We were built different because you got to be built different to accomplish what we were out to do in terms of our mission and our vision. They were more than statements. The last things they were were statements. They served as our school's North Star and guided everything we do. And that's why I was able to make tough decisions because we had a mission in place that drove everything we do. I'm going to encourage you to share this episode with a colleague, an established leader, a burgeoning leader, someone who aspires to leadership. Remember to start with the crown, not with the kid. Our job is to defy the data. Your job is to change the narrative. You don't want to damn bear the burden. You don't want to wear the burden. You want to bear that burden. Change that narrative. Start with the crown, not with the kid. And may the bridges I burn light the way. You've been listening to the Ruthless Equity School Leadership Podcast with Ken Williams. For more information about Ken, visit RuthlessEquity.com.